Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We're here in Wade's office for our second episode in a new Winging It series on the life of Luther. Uh, both Wade and I teach that course here at Wisconsin Lutheran College, and we thought it would be fun to just kind of go through chronologically, although we'll go over, all over the place, I'm sure, uh, through the life of Luther as a Winging It series. And so we've done two other Winging It series, one on the Divine Service, where we slowly went through uh, the Sunday worship, and then Another one on church history where we went very fast, uh, skipped over a bunch of stuff, but just kind of an overview on uh, the history of the church. And so now we're in Martin Luther's life, and we'll probably begin today with his birth um, and his family, but really the culture that he was born into and the family that he was born into. And so he's born November 10th. 1483. We're going to stick with that date. There's a little bit of debate over if Yeah, and then like his, his original tombstone just changes everything. Yeah. So, yeah. It's all over the place, and and uh, sometimes you just go, I'm going to stick with the date. Finally, when... So I have them... I have a quiz in my Luther class on, you know, the first one is, when was Martin Luther bo- born? And I'm like, just so we know, we're sticking with this date, all right? And then some of the very dutiful students were like, give the extra dates, you know? And all this I always summer. love when students do that. You get some who want to cover every base. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. Just this is the date, okay? We're going to be done. Um, so we're going to stick with November 10th, 1483, uh, baptized the next day on St. Martin of Tours Day. And so that's where he gets the name Martin. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. We're going to go with that history right there. So anyway, uh, born into a, a mining family, and maybe, Wade, you can start with that, just the history of the family and, and, and the, the unique laws of inheritance of that time and that territory. Yeah, and I think if, if I have permission, Mike, I'll step just a, a, even one step back more. Um, but I, I think you, uh, you hit on some very important and helpful stuff as we look at the beginning. In many ways, when we're talking about Martin Luther, often when for historians, when they're looking at a person or a period or a movement or a um, culture, society, one of the challenges is a lack of sources. <clears throat> with Luther, the challenge can be, almost an overwhelming number of sources. So even with something like his birth date, uh, we don't have a great source, like an official source, like a birth certificate, but we do have different people who say different things, who give different dates for his birth, and even sometimes things like that, life events, Luther himself can vary on, because it's just not something that someone would have been as cognizant of in that time as we are now. We're very autobiographical people. Uh, We... We're individuals. We think about our life. We con- we contemplate our past self. Um, many people, right, will spend years in therapy because of their childhood. In many ways, at this time, childhood is just what you got through. Um, and in fact, you know, I, th- I believe it was Erasmus who kind of poked fun at St. Augustine's Confessions, the first real, like, autobiography we know of in the, in the true sense, um, in the church at least, and uh, said, you know, it was kind of vain and... Um, kind of effeminate to write your autobiography. Erasmus called somebody effeminate? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we know almost nothing about Calvin's childhood, for instance, too. And so when Luther's childhood comes up from Luther himself, it's usually in the context of a story. Someone asked him something, and oftentimes it's in the context of a story that he's using to prove a point or to illustrate something to get to, to something else. And so it's not like Luther sat down and wrote about his life, and that would have been viewed at that time to be a a very kind of untoward thing to do. And so that's one of the challenges with these things. 
But I, I want to get at a little bit as we look at Luther and to build on what we did last time. There's different types of history as we look at Luther. Um, my PhD is in history, so I'm a little bit out of place perhaps in the theology and philosophy departments, but they let me teach there. Um, but I did intellectual history, you know, kind of Plato to NATO, um, but intellectual history that focused especially then uh, on the Reformation period, early modern intellectual history, especially um, Germany and, Europe, and England, and then uh, um, modern Germany, especially kind of Holocaust confessing church stuff, and then late antiquity, um, so St. Augustine and around that time. But uh, intellectual history is probably the worst kind of history to do if you want to get a job right now, because that's kind of the old way of doing history, and it's it's studying the big ideas and the great men, and usually, right, in the context of European history, then um, great white men who had big white European ideas. And so uh, there's been a lot that has changed in the discipline of history, and, and for the better, too. I have colleagues who do social cultural history, for instance, and I really respect the work they do, um, Professor Finnegan, Sheena Finnegan, is doing some fun stuff, and I, I can't wait to get her on here when she finishes her dissertation and to get to talk about some of the work she's doing. But another way to look at the Reformation, too, is what was daily life like? Who was it impacting? What was it like to grow up in Martin Luther's household? How wealthy were they? Um, what was the spirituality of that type of person? What was a miner's life like? What was their health like? What was a day at work like? And to get into that, you get beyond where there's the same type of source material that you would use for intellectual history. So, for instance, we can say, well, we know Luther used to live in this house, and we found these artifacts there. So they might have been interested in this saint, and they might have played this game, and they might have liked eating this. We know someone in his uh, house, for instance, really liked eating game birds because it was stuff for capturing birds or songbirds, I think, not game birds. I, I don't eat birds. I don't. I guess I eat turkey and chicken, but I don't think I've ever eaten a, what would be a different bird I would eat? I think that's only Pheasant. bird. Pheasant. Never had that. So I've only had two birds. And turkeys and chickens, they're both birds, right? Turkeys aren't mm-hmm. like a cross species or something. All right, so um, the uh, was an ostrich bird? Yes. Okay, I thought it was a mammal for a second. Um, so, all right, now I'm confused, but... Uh, you know, we can. So we're looking, for instance, with miners. Maybe you have some transactional records, some governmental records. Um, we kind of look at the mines. What 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 do the mines look like now? Um, what accounts do we have? Maybe even secondhand. Um, maybe there's records for medical treatments, but not really. They didn't keep nearly the records we keep now for medical treatments. Um, so there can be a real challenge with that. And I guess I'm hoping today we can talk about a little, Mike, and you kind of segued into this. Just what it would have been like to be a young Martin Luther, not for a young Martin Luther. Like, imagine we don't know he's going to be Martin Luther, but a miner's kid in a somewhat upwardly mobile family in a mining town. And I think this is very important. Um, Mansfeld, uh, this is a mining town. And and this is different than being in a town where the growing um, economy is mercantile or industrial. Um, there's, There's some unique stuff to this. And so... I don't want to talk too much in Rome, but can I introduce that a bit and then see where you want to go with that? Mike is nodding for the record. Um, I very much, uh, as I've studied more Mansfeld and kind of what his background was there, to me, and Mike's going to shake his head at this, but there's a lot of similarities uh, to me of, of how people feel when they've grown up in Detroit, and especially if they've grown up in Detroit with parents who were auto workers. And and I, I got to play this out, but I'll explain why I think. Um 
mining was very much its own industry. And at this time, it's really starting to take off before the Spanish flood the market with silver and other metals that they bring from the New World, which really leads to inflation. But no one knows why inflation is coming because they don't yet understand how economics works. So it's the beginnings of capitalism, but all this stuff is going on and they don't get – think about how little we know about how, how economics works still today, right? We're worried the Fed should do this or do that. The market one day is panicking and the next day it's way up. Um, it's still something we we quite don't get. But mining was kind of a unique industry and it created these towns. And so Mansfeld is different than in Eisenach when Luther goes to Eisenach. Mansfeld is taverns and slab houses – and, um, you know, it's we need to have somewhere to live. We need to have somewhere to go have a beer after work. Um, there's, you know, church, but it's not going to be an established, you know, beautiful cathedral like you might find in a major city. And it's going to be gathering people from all over who are looking for a job. Um, so you have someone like Luther's dad who is, is looking to increase his um, standing in life, who wants to eventually purchase some mines, but he does that by working in mines. Um, you have people who are coming only to work. You have people who are coming to open shops for the workers, people who are coming to perhaps run an inn or, or, or something like that. And this is where I think a lot of Detroit, where my own family, right, most of them migrated from somewhere to Detroit. The old joke is, you know, Indiana is where you broke down on your way to Michigan, um, that the auto jobs opened up. And so my my great grand or my grandfather um, came from Arkansas. My great-grandfather, you know, had lived down in a little town in Arkansas, and he came up with some siblings. Uh, didn't work in the auto industry, but ended up working on things tangential to it. Uh, I believe he was a fourth-grade education, um, but he came to where the work was, and he found himself surrounded by people where not a whole lot of them were necessarily always from Detroit. But Detroit, like, became a thing, right? We're Detroit. We're a manufacturing town. We're an auto town. We're going to put the world on wheels, but then think about how the economy started to shift. World War II ends, and the German and Japanese economies begin to recover. And what are they also doing? They're going to build automobiles. And in many ways, America has now won this war. It came in and won this war. And out of that comes challenges to the auto industry. Um, you have uh, GM just can't make its same box cars every year. Um, you, you have creativity coming from different places, different sorts of engineering and the auto industry begins to struggle. Um, we won't get on Reagan because Mike and I probably have very different views on Reagan. I know Peter and I would have very different views on Reagan. Um, but you have the 70s and the 80s, especially the 80s, where other parts of the country are doing pretty well, but Detroit's feeling some real uncertainty. And you have people who have come there for one thing. They've come there for, for auto work. And no one quite understands everything in play and why the economy is changing. But there's a sense that even if you currently still are working, if you're working at the Rouge plant and you've got a good job, you know that that's not for sure forever. And you kind of are starting to think, I don't want my kids to go into that, right? I was coming out of high school in the age where almost none of my friends thought, I'm going to come out and work the line, if it had been 20 years earlier, there would have been a lot more people who thought, I'm going to come out, I'm going to work the line at Ford, at Chrysler, at GM. Um, there's something changing. And that's going to be a little bit of the sense with Mansfield. And Luther's attitude towards capitalism, for instance, is very much going to be shaped by his um, experience as a miner's child, as his dad will become upwardly mobile. But people don't realize his dad ended up um, having to work for someone. 
uh, that you had the pressures of capitalism, but also the counts in Mansfeld, they would divide the property among all the sons rather than it going to the youngest or the oldest. And they became a very oppressive force on the mining industry because they need to, needed to be able to sustain their lifestyles off the miners. And they actually really began taking over government takeover, we could talk about in a very local way, the mining industry. And so um, Luther's going to have a real leeriness, but we're also going to see Luther's relationship with the government of these counts who live up on the hills, and they're clearly, you know, nobility-type houses who are clearly in charge of the town, even as you have some of the aspects of what we would call capitalistic upward mobility, at least for a while. His dad really kind of hits his pinnacle when Luther decides to become a monk, and then we see the somewhat wealthy Hans Luther comes to uh, to greet him. And so when we're talking social or cultural history, I think there's a lot of interesting questions in what was that experience like. A lot of people don't realize, for instance, Luther had, I think it was an uncle who died in a bar fight. I mean, Mansfeld was just known. These were rough men who had, who had really ventured to kind of, and many times staying away from their family for a while, if not for most of the day, then for days to work. And, uh, you know, his father was kind of known for being the guy who could break up a bar fight or win one if the guy wouldn't break it up. Um, this uh, this was an interesting type of background that he had. And I really think if we think American Rust Belt, if not Detroit, if you want, I think this would apply to much of the Rust Belt in America, kind of that type of background. But Mike, anything with any of that? No, I, I think there's there's something to that. Uh, we mentioned last, or I mentioned last episode of uh, the different people and classes of people that Luther not only would have seen and knew, but would have interacted with. And, and it's really quite similar to... Like you were, you were explaining growing up, uh, you you would have known by their first names the priests. You would have known who the bishop was. You would have known people who had gone to college. You would have people in your family who had very little education, who moved from a more rural area like Hans did, to hey, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna be a miner, and then eventually he's gonna by uh, lease a smelter or whatever and make the, the ore into metal and then he's going to try to expand that business. He's going to put money into that business instead of spending it frivolously. And there is a sense there that my family, my sons, are going to go and take the next step. And and not all sons did. Like, it was, right. it, was it his... And here I think is another Rust Belt, you know, comparison. You look at these Rust Belt states and they tend to have very good public universities, U of M, UW-Madison... Yeah. Um, I guess I, Illinois is Northwestern for private, but, um, you know, the, these workers who they want the next step for their kid. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, and not only not only that, but uh, I, is it Luther's brother that got arrested like 11 times for fights or was I know charged? his brother-in-law gets in trouble <laughs> for getting a little drunk sometimes. There was, and was, there, there was uh, you know. I want to it, say it's his brother-in-law if I yeah, remember. It, there's just, there's just he's, seen, he's seen every, and makes him, I think, a great, preacher eventually uh be, for two reasons one he heard confession um in in Wittenberg but but also he knew everybody he could he could do that and so it's actually a, a fairly well not being too poor not being too rich um he has a fairly well-rounded childhood I think he he had the ability to go to school but he saw his parents struggle early on um he knew what how dangerous it was to be a minor um, and, and think about, like you said, the Rust Belt, how uh, not only religious, but how much religion and culture 
mixed. You know, you just think about and specifically like, in that setting. Yeah, you know, your parish in Pittsburgh. You know, uh, that kind of stuff. It was so a very very religious um, childhood. Uh, probably, perhaps a little superstitious. Certainly, from our but point religion of view, too superstitious. Tinge, not, sorry to interrupt again, yeah. Mike, but but the same type of family that could have all the uncles get together and get a little happy, right? Mm-hmm. Drink a little bit, get colorful with their language, tell some stories, but at the same time have a piety that's mm-hmm. attached to that. If that makes sense, absolutely. I a piety of you know do right by your family, work hard, that kind of stuff, and 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 then you know. You're working for the next generation in a very real way. Uh, like th- I have a ceiling here. You know, you, you're a you're a, a a family from from Arkansas that has come up because it, farming's just not going to work down there. There's you can't divide the line the the um, farm up generation after generation and make a living. So you you took your you know your Model T or whatever you know, and you got yourself to Detroit, and you knew that you had a ceiling. But your children had a higher ceiling. And so we see that being played out with with Hans and and Luther, too. You know, uh, we read too much into, you know, uh, Luther and his relationship with his father. And yet it is a fascinating one. You know, if you sent your kid to law school and you bought the books today buy the books which of was law. like a two-year salary yeah. for <laughs> yeah you buy the buy the books right now for your for your son or daughter's law degree and then after a while they say i don't want to do that anymore you're going to be a little <clears throat> you know uh, what you're thinking kid. you know what i used to have i and it's packed somewhere now but that used to always make me feel bad in that regard is uh when i was born my grandma got me a notre dame class of uh whatever i was supposed to graduate to be a priest blanket and i still have it it's green and yellow notre dame class of <laughs> and there's something of that to it of right this was this was something that she thought would be a great step for the family that would be uh something they were working towards right yeah. it, so this was an investment and uh i'm i was close right <laughs> i wear a clerical <laughs> collar um it, i could pass for for a priest i suppose uh but i think you're exactly right mike there's a I have I have a ceiling to what I can accomplish now, and to be fair, Hans is raising the ceiling. No, oh, yeah, but uh, but there's a real investment in the kids. Think fifties, sixties. Think the disappointment of all the people who busted their backsides. And to be fair, these weren't ideal families either. It's not like the boomers were raised in paradise. Um, you know, we think of some of the parents who were all drugged up on prescription drugs. You know, just the way people were medicated. Um, only. I mean, well, we can imagine it because we've done it in our own day if you think of the opioids crisis. But um, but then you send your kid to college and they become a hippie. You know, this isn't, I mean, change monk for a hippie, but they're, right. they're going for a lifestyle that's not going to advance the family. There's not a lot of income in. I mean, unless you become the hippie who becomes Steve Jobs or, right. you know, anything like that. Maybe just a little bit with Hans and then I'll let you unpack it, Mike, is, you know, um, Luther... Would mention that he came from from peasant stock. Um, he very much could speak a peasant's German, but he's he's really bilingual in that he has a, his father's side and his mother's side. And maybe just if I briefly unpack the father's side, if you can take the mother's side. Um, so Hans is going to come from uh, a peasant family, um, and uh, the way they did the inheritances was that it didn't go to the oldest son; it went to the youngest son, I believe, on Hans's side, if I'm not mistaken on that. And so. When his parents died, and they, I believe they sell the house, and so he would have got a portion of the inheritance, but he wouldn't have got the, the big family inheritance that, that we tend to think of going with something, uh, with an inheritance when parents die. 
but he is going to have some mining and background, some background in mining in the family and smelting, I believe. And then there will be a little bit, or there will be some on uh, Margaret's side or Marguerite, however we want to choose to say the name, uh, as well. But uh, he definitely, whether or not he went from you know nothing to something, he was an ambitious man. And he makes his way, now Luther is born in Eisleben, but they end up in Mansfeld, and he goes from working in the mines to slowly owning some mines. And he's, be, he's you know, playing early capitalism about as well as he could play it in his situation. Um, but this is going to be, when, especially when Luther talks about, you know, peasant roots, it's going to be through his father. But his father is not just some peasant who sat there tied to the land um, and was content to kind of see what fortune brought him there, was an ambitious man who made the most of the opportunities he had. We, we t- had, that is. We, we, we tend to think now he had a little more going for him uh, as he went into these things, but that shouldn't downplay the, uh, the amount of effort it took for him to do what he did. Maybe, Mike, if you want to take Luther's mother's side, then this is where he's going to kind of get... The ability to speak among the learned. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the details. I don't want to make some of the details wrong, but and as you look, uh, I, I think maybe just one brief thing too. It's going to be more from his mom that he's going to get the 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 Christian piety. His dad seems to have been a believer. He was active in all the things that a male believer um, of of growing importance in a town should have been active in. You know, think of the Knights of Columbus today if you're yeah, in Yeah, fund- fundraising, that kind of stuff. Right, um, but not, um, it's not as if his dad was overly religious compared to the norm to where Luther would have inherited some, you know, super religiosity from him. Yeah, so his mother's family is, a, I don't want to say more sophisticated, maybe that's not the right term, but, you know. Probably somewhat probably, fair, though. They're know, in the city. They're Yeah, they're in the city, and, and I imagine, you know, like, again, going back to that kind of, okay, you're this kid growing up in, in the Rust Belt or whatever, and you got Uncle Joe, who's a lawyer, or you got Uncle Frank, who who's a priest, or, or something like that. That comes a little bit more from the mother's side a little bit. And so, you know, wish we knew more about um, um, Luther's mother. He he does not speak a lot of her as much as he does uh, of Hans. And um, so she she married this guy who. I mean, I don't want to say like there's a different class structure or anything like that, but um, it, it was going to be a, a tough road to hoe, you know, and they, they are poor at the beginning of their marriage. Um, but Hans works very hard and uh, lifts himself up in a business way and then also um, in standing in, in the town. But it seems that from his mother, he gets uh, that religious uh, day-to-day religious kind of thing. Like, I, I just imagine her saying little things to young Luther, right, over and over again, these these little um, uh, ditties or these little short phrases that had probably a kernel of truth to them, perhaps a little superstitious. You know, it, it's been recorded that she... Uh, she thought the woman next to her was a living next to her was a witch, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. And, 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 and she early on, and that's not out of the norm for someone to suspect that at that time either. And she's a, she's a, a lady who, um, you know, early on in the marriage had to go out into the forest to go get wood for the fire. 
You know, I mean, this is this is a very, very difficult lifestyle, uh, depending on the birth rates at some times in that you could have 40, 50, 60 percent of children not making it through uh, year one of their life. It can be a very brutish time. And then you have uh, the concept of of medieval piety that he gets from his mother, that uh, there are spirits and there are demons all over the place in the hills and in the forests and all this kind of stuff. And and they play a part in this life. And so where uh, Hans seems to be a little bit more practical, okay, you know, I'm going to put money back into my business. We're going to get, uh, we're going to go to this school, uh, eventually, hopefully to the university. Eventually, let's get you a law degree. Uh, Marguerite, we'll call her Margie maybe, uh, is a little bit more spiritual, thinking about those kinds of things. And I think it's a nice uh, contrast that Luther gets. He sees uh, both both uh, both worlds there, more practical one, but then a more spiritual one. And clearly in that day, he's at, early on, he's spending quite a bit of time with his mother. Um, she can be um, strict as his father was too, but by all accounts, a loving, loving family, strict for for that age. And but- I think here too, when we sometimes people will try to psychoanalyze, and you get a couple accounts of Luther tell stories about being disciplined as a child. And I actually have a, a paper on this. There was a, an article in Logia and started as an extended essay. Um, I could see if we can somehow link that at some point, but. Uh, there's interesting parallels of St. Augustine has similar experiences as a childhood in in school especially, and he'll tell those, and then people look back and they go, oh, see, they were abused. Well, not by the standards of their time. You had a strict, um, firm upbringing because you were going out into a hard world and you needed to be right. And misbehavior could have serious consequences, right? I mean, the punishments were much sterner governmentally. And so he uses these, these stories to illustrate something. So it's not... If you've heard those stories, you maybe picture his mom as like she was this violent person. These stories wouldn't have stood out to Luther if they were the norm. Mm-hmm. They stand out because they're not the norm. And and same when we talk about his education next um, uh, next episode, you know, uh, uh, very strict for for sure. And yet he looks back fondly on quite a bit of that. So you have a strict upbringing, but remember you're trying to survive. Much more of a survival. Um, idea and mindset there than for us when it's much more about um, how to flourish, how to be successful, how to be a leader, how to be all these things where their life is much more about about the struggles of every day. And what really fascinates me about that time is you could have peasants who had no education, who are beaten down. Um, you have quite a bit of violence um, among the peasants and among the pe- people of the city, um, a very fairly rough place. And the Luther family, the Luther family, doesn't seem to be engaged in that as, as at all. Um, There's a nice story, though, of his dad uh, in the Roper biography. Uh, during Luther, this is page 11, during Luther's childhood, Hans Luther would have been a force to be reckoned with. He was a physically powerful man and once... When a pub fight broke out in his presence, he poured beer over the two combatants to separate them, clouding both on the head for good measure with a jug until the blood ran. Yes, and, and, and in a righteous way, though, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so he seems to be, my sons are going to be not a part of that that lifestyle. Um, so, And then you have the dangers of the mines. You have some economic hope and yet some economic... Um, 
uh, hopelessness in certain situations. And then you also have these great, big, beautiful churches. And, and, and when he goes to Erfurt, oh my goodness, the Rome of the, of the North, um, he he's can rub elbows with some of the most intelligent people. I mean, you just think of the contrast from our own day of the poverty. Let's just middle-class America, the poverty that would have been visible. I mean, we have poverty in America, but this would have been certainly visible where you have people that are um, mentally disabled, physically disabled, diseased, uh, homeless, poor, they're beggars, lepers. You see them, you could see them every day unless they're driven out of town by the, by, by, by the authorities. And at the same point time, just think of that little concept, that little uh, territory of, you know, the handful of territories and in that part of Germany, you rub shoulders with Melanchthon, Luther, uh, I mean, some very intelligent, hugely and they're important walking people, down the same street, the same as street. like every day you could see just both sides of it. What a fascinating world that was. And you see that not just in the people you meet, but their language, their smells, the people and the, you sat in church with yeah. on Sunday. And then even in the architecture from just the, the beaten down little shacks with dirt floors to, you know, just down the street is this is this beautiful cathedral or um, um, or or a monastery, you know, or whatever it's going to be. It it really is a fascinating time, and you really start to see Luther. Um, what what a what a childhood he had to be able to talk to everybody. He could he could talk in the in beautiful Latin and write in beautiful Latin to the Pope. And the next uh, uh, next sentence, he could be talking on the level of the pig farmer, and he had no problem going between both. It's a really a fascinating time, and and really that's what he says he wants to do later with his German New Testament is to uh, is to be able to speak the language of the mother in the home and the the sailor, uh, not all of the sailor's language perhaps, but uh, just a couple things, Mike, and and maybe as we wrap up and make our way into the next one. Uh, couple unique things with Mansfeld then to keep in mind, or maybe a few to add, um, kind of trying to wrap their head around capitalism as it's starting to become a thing. Just to explain once again, capital is having money to put into businesses. You know, the idea of making money off money, you invest money to, you've got to spend money to make money. This is uh, that people are not, that land is not, land or goods are not the main um, means of income or trade. And so you have this emergence of a new class in Europe that's going to be a moneyed class but doesn't have traditional power that was tied to the nobility, that was tied to land, that was tied to the court. This is partly going to really play into the French Revolution um, where you have doctors and, and um, you know merchants and, and others who are now very learned and very well off, but they don't have the say or the sway that is kind of commensurate to um, the, the power they have with the capital that they have. Luther's mining background, when he talks about the household or men and women, it's important to understand how different that was in Mansfeld than in most places. The miners oftentimes had their own cottages or were away for a long amount of time. Um, and so the differences, the roles between men and, and women were even more demarcated in Mansfeld than elsewhere. And this is going to be Luther's conception of the house and of women um, with the exception of when he stays with people in Eisenach, until he gets married, right? He's going to spend his time at schools and in monasteries with all other guys. 
some of us in the Wisconsin Senate who went through the system back in the day, or those of you who went through before amalgamation, you can imagine eight years where your where your contact with a girl is like something you would tell your friends about because it didn't happen that often. Um, and we're going to see really Luther's um, his his vocational writings are going to come especially after marriage. Um, I mean, he's going to start earlier, but some of his richest stuff, his letters and things like that are going to come when he's he's now married to Katie and he, he has a different sort of family life. Um, I think uh, another thing to keep in, 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 you know, in mind with Mansfeld is the Detroit type thing. People drawn here for in- industry and then yet bonded around that. But the, uh, the susceptibility you had, and so just a, another thing to keep in mind, um, by the 1920s, uh, Hans Luter found himself having to work for another. He had a decent salary, but he's working for someone else. He has a supervisor. Um, he himself was not necessarily as, uh, the owner of as much as he had been. And so he kind of peaks, and then he doesn't have a bad life, but when he dies, what's left to people is the household. There's not a lot of businesses to be left. And so Hans' own experience with capitalism, um, the economy, uh, how these things work, that's all going to influence Luther. Um, but even more than we see why Hans stressed Luther's education and what he should go on to be or to do. And so I think uh, we've tried to give you kind of a rounded out view of what Luther's early experience might have been, where he came from, his roots. But um, it's interesting, Luther's going to die going back to settle a dispute between the counts and Mansfeld. Um, you know, I... Sometimes you just are where you're from. You know, I, I am forever going to be wearing my Detroit Tigers hat no matter what their record is. Um, I'm, you know, Ben likes joking with me sometimes about Detroit. He knows he can get me riled up really quick. Um, but it's just where I'm from, and I see an identity to that. And sometimes people will look at Detroit and say, oh, there's all these ruins. But I look at that and I say, well, my grandpa worked there, and he had friends who worked there. And these people literally did put the world on wheels, and they gave in their heart and soul for work, and many of them had their hearts broke by economic um, forces that they could not wrap their head around, right? They had built a life around something. And you look at that with different eyes. And I just want us to understand that, that Luther had that feeling about places as well, and he was a product of a place like that. And he never really gets far. I mean, he goes to Rome, he goes to Heidelberg, Wittenberg, Coburg. Other than that, you know, he's just... He's right in that area. He doesn't stray very, very far, and he could have um, um, without if he wasn't, uh, you know, an outlaw. So, with that, we're going to move to our next episode, which is in our Winging It series, which will be the education of Luther, and we'll we'll start off with a little bit of the details and the dates to kind of set the scene, and then try to give you a feel for what it's like to go through school at that time. And if there is one lesson to learn from this episode, is that all of you who are bagging on Detroit. We're taking names, and one day when we rise from the ashes, you'll see. Another round, another round, another round, another round, one round, get me down. And I said, honey, honey, I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a genius.